Who are the Mountain Meisters? Committing to the goal and galvanizing you and your team behind that one single focus. Being at peace with that fear and being okay with it. You gain a real appreciation for your life and for what you have. Learn about their extreme lives on rock, snow, and ice five days a week with your hosts, Russell Wilcox and Ben Shank. Hello, welcome to Mountain Meister. I'm Ben. Hey, Russell here. Today on the show, we have Alex Johnson. Alex has been a prominent force in the climbing community for over a decade. She has been a member of the U.S. team since 1999, and in 2008, Alex made history by becoming the first American to win a bouldering cup on U.S. soil in over 20 years. In 2010, she did it again, winning gold in Switzerland and becoming the first American to win a bouldering World Cup overseas. Since then, she shifted her focus away from competitions and honed in on outdoor projects, building an impressive tick list filled with dozens of iconic first female ascents. Along with being an ambitious climber, Alex is also an active member of the community, teaching clinics around the country and giving presentations at universities. Recently, Alex relocated to Vegas, an area with tons of climbing and even more potential for development, where she hopes to help contribute to the establishment of even more world-class climbing. So Alex, Ben and I know what bouldering is. Uh, Some of our listeners might not know what it is. Could you just explain it and then tell the listeners how you got started? Yeah, of course. Um, So bouldering is one specific discipline of climbing. There are generally three. um, Trad climbing, which is where you put up your own gear. Sport climbing, which is where you bring the rope up, but there's already gear in the rock. And then bouldering, um, we don't use ropes or gear at all. We technically don't go higher than like 20 feet, usually. Um... Mats under us, and it's um, shorter, more compact climbing with really difficult moves. So it's basically trying to do the hardest moves we possibly can. Um, Root climbing is super fun for training for me. Um, It's a little bit more of an endurance challenge. Uh, I like to think of myself as a sprinter, and root climbing is like marathon runners. Mm -hmm. So basically what I'm doing is the sprinting of climbing, short and sweet. That's a good way to put it. How'd you get started? I started climbing when I was about seven. Um, My mom says that I was climbing since I was born, basically climbing out of my crib, climbing up trees, climbing up churches. Um, Wow, churches. Yeah, they usually have really great architecture for climbing. Uh, Are you being serious? Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Very stony and like yeah were they okay with that or did you sneak on i was usually like six and no one i would just disappear and someone would be like oh well because on the roof again like oh all the way from the roof (laughs) now what kind of architecture is best for church climbing like gothic Ooh, i have no idea yeah i I don't know anything about architecture (laughs) i don't either but they're usually just really easy like they've got a lot of features that sort of stick out to climb up like they're just huge playgrounds it's like gargoyles <laughs> but is it easier to climb when you're younger because you're lighter yes okay. um i think that me starting at such a young age is a huge advantage to mm-hmm. my climbing now i know people that started when they were <clears throat> in their 20s and my body just grew into climbing like i started at such a young age like i went to the gym for the first time when i was seven and i just stuck with it I loved it instantly and my body sort of just grew into it. Like I got used to, my tendons got used to just being hung on all the time and my muscles sort of developed around 
climbing and people that start at an older age, they tend to have injuries and their, their muscles grow, but their tendons have a hard time catching up. I think it takes three times longer for your tendons to catch up to your muscles. So I basically grew my tendons. Yeah. In high school. I mean, were there any traditional sports you were playing that led into climbing? Yeah, I did a lot of, I did a lot in high school. Um, I track and field, basketball, volleyball, um, track and field was really the sport that I stuck with in high school. Hmm. Um, I was a pole vaulter. They recruited me at a, at a young age because they had heard about my climbing. It was hard to understand for people. They, it was just sort mm-hmm. of an unorthodox sport to get into and people didn't really understand it. And now it's becoming a lot more mainstream. So mm-hmm. I'm having all these old high school friends are like, Oh my God, I got into climbing. It's so cool. And I'm like, Oh, where were you when we were in high school? Like, hmm. so someone could understand what I do. <laughs> so they thought you're a climber. You could pole vault. That doesn't seem very logical mm-hmm. to me. I don't know. Upper body strength. Oh, so okay. they, yeah, they thought that because I'm a climber, I'll have strong upper body. They thought, right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so pole was sort of the thing that I stuck with for all four years of high school. Um, right. I ended up winning our state championship in pole vaulting my senior year. Our whole track team won state, and then I got a scholarship to a Minnesota State University for pole vaulting. And I went there for a year, but I just missed climbing a lot. Like I wasn't really able to climb very much because I had to be so focused on track because it was the reason that I was there. Um, so I ended up leaving and moving out to Colorado to sort of pursue becoming a full-time climber yeah i had a pretty short-lived track career i was uh five feet tall (laughs) until i was a junior in high school and for some reason i thought that high jumping and pole vaulting were my calling i don't know Mm. what happened there you chose to leave out (laughs) russell told me the other day that he grew from five feet to six feet in one year and i refuse to believe that i don't believe that no it's true i'll get my mom on the show and she'll tell you all about it He also told me that he had six wisdom teeth, so (laughs) I don't know. Ew. I have have a pretty weird body, but um, so tell us a little bit about where you are now. So I moved to Colorado in 2008, and I lived in Colorado for a couple years, and then I went to Europe, and I did two years competing on the World Cup circuit, so that was kind of my, like, homeless two years um, living in Europe. And then I came back and moved into my mom's van. Uh, I made her trade cars with me and I sort of hit the road living in the van Wow! and then wound up back in Colorado and then moved to Vegas about a month ago. And I love it. Like I love living in Vegas. <laughs> Are you losing a lot of money there? No. <laughs> <laughs> now, is, rent. is climbing more popular in Europe? Climbing, yeah, climbing's really popular in Europe. Um, it's it's seen as a mainstream sport right now. Uh, I think in America we're just a, we're not there yet. Um, climbing is right on the bubble to becoming like really mainstream. We're right on the edge. Surfing, skateboarding, BMX—it's one of those extreme sports, and it takes a longer time for people to understand what it is. Mm-hmm. And like surfing exploded, I think in the seventies, and we're like on that the edge of that right now. Like wow. we're. I think climbing's going to explode. But in Europe, yeah, it's seen it's seen as a real sport. A lot of people do it. You don't walk to the crag and have tourists go, "What are you carrying?" Like <laughs> it's just climbing gear. Now, before we get into the competitions, I'm really unfamiliar with rock climbing, so I need to learn a lot more before we go there. So, okay. first of all, I've been to rock climbing walls in gyms, which they call uh-huh. bouldering gyms, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I know that there are different levels there with the V's. So there's like a V zero, one, two, three, blah, blah, blah. 
Yeah. But you also do those on real rock, correct? Outside, yeah. you find boulders yep. and you climb them. So yes. is a V1 at a gym equivalent to a V1 on a real rock? Theoretically, yes. Okay. That is, that's the goal is to have it be comparable. Um, the V grading scale was developed outside uh, in Waco. And it's, it was basically just a way to, yeah, rate the difficulty of a certain climb. And today, the hardest thing in the world is a V16. Hmm. Wow. I think there's only one. It's it's like unimaginably hard. <clears throat> and then the easiest thing is a VB. That's V basic. Basic. So pretty much anyone could do it. And then it goes zero, one, two, three. Like obviously. VB um, is VB is V Ben. <laughs> <laughs> no. That's my level. So where is Waco? Or is that a place that Texas. you were saying? That's in yep, Texas. Waco's in Texas. Yeah. Oh, so it's just this climbing area in Texas, and that's. That's where the V scale was developed. Just do they have the same scale in Europe? They do not have the same scale in Europe. Um, the scale does translate, but the European scale was created first, and it's it started in font, so it's it's a lot harder to explain. I'm yes, there's a different scale. <laughs> <laughs> now here's a really okay. stupid question, uh, but it's 100 percent honest. I promise. Okay. And I actually might lose some respect <laughs> from rock climbers because I'm asking this, but. Let's say you see this really cool rock that you want to climb and mm-hmm. it's going well, but for some reason there's this really smooth part of the rock and you can't really continue the climb. Would it be a sin to take a chisel and a hammer up there and like hammer a place where you can put your hand to make a root? This is not a stupid question. This is oh. a highly debated topic in climbing oh, All right, all the time. Um, it happens a lot. It's very, very looked down upon and very frowned upon, but it does happen. Hmm. And do you have a stance on that issue or no? I, I don't really know what my stance is. Hmm. I'm, I think I'm neutral. Like I've never chipped anything that's called chipping. I've never Hmm. made a, a hole that wasn't there before, but I've obviously climbed routes that have had holes Hmm. made. So it's cool to be able to climb those. Yeah, I wouldn't do it myself, but I don't know. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah, I never even thought of that. Uh, I'll give you a few other. I'm proud of myself for thinking (laughs) of that question. (laughs) That's funny. Um, It definitely happens. All right. I'm going to back up just a little bit. And uh, before we get into more bouldering questions and topics, uh, I want to know what the training looks like. For, For your training, do you do that in a gym or is that just more climbing? How does that work for you? My training is is pretty specific to me. If you ask a lot of climbers, most of them will say that they don't train. They only climb. Hmm. And that worked for me up until about two years ago when I started losing. Um, I started getting beat because people started training and I was like, hmm. no, I can just totally off the couch still win events. And that wasn't the case. Like I started getting beat. So I started training a couple years ago and it's really specific to climbing, but I it's it's weightlifting too. Like I do weighted pull-ups and the one arm pull down and a push press. I have to train the muscles that I don't use climbing so I don't get hurt, but it's rigorous. Like when it's training season, it's, it's hard. And I'm in not a climbing gym. I'm in like a gym, like a weightlifting gym doing weighted pull-ups and abs. And it's hard. How many pull-ups can you do? Oh, right now I have no idea. Like maybe 
maybe 30. Oh, wow. <laughs> Russell and I uh, have this thing where we do push-ups every day before lunch. And <laughs> oh, sh- we forgot to do push-ups today. <laughs> so, uh, we force ourselves to do push-ups before lunch, but we seem to have forgotten today. But anyway, we add one every day that we're into this podcast. So right now the board says we need to do 43 today. <laughs> How many push-ups can you do? I think Russell's starting to struggle. I am. It's, He's struggling toward sad, the end. I have a pretty flat chest. So. <laughs> Are we doing push-ups? <laughs> do you? Were you about ready to do some push-ups? I was, I was getting ready. Oh, wow. That <laughs> oh, would, God, let's do this. <laughs> we can do a competition. All right, anyway, we'll, we'll try some, that after We'll do the a competition interview. after, yeah. yeah. Uh, how much uh, gym time are you actually training? How many hours would you say? Um, two to three days a week, three to five hours a day in the weightlifting gym. In the climbing gym, it's, if I'm training, five days a week. Uh, two to four hours a day. Wow. Well, that's pretty intense. Do you enjoy that training? I do. I like it. Yeah. It's something different. It's nice to do something like opposing and something that's, I, I don't do it year round. Like I usually only do it for six to 12 weeks out of the year total. And it's right before competition season. And yeah, it's something different and I get motivated training. Mm. I feel strong. <laughs> Yeah, for me, I don't know. I, I just have such a hard time training for anything. I just like to actually do it. I uh, I saw this picture of you carrying these huge crash pads. So when you're bouldering, you have these big kind of safety mats. Things they fall on. Yep. Yeah, things okay. that they fall on. And usually they have someone kind of spotting them. So if they do fall, they don't land on their head or, gotcha. or twist yeah. anything. And um, So are those difficult to uh to carry you kind of look like an ant carrying this massive leaf (laughs) they're big but they're not too heavy they're designed to be carried a long distance and they're pretty light and we can pack our packs inside of them and then it's not too cumbersome oh that's cool do you ever well some of the places you're hiking to are these big vast deserts almost do you ever get big gusts of wind that just kind of pick you up (laughs) oh yeah it's it's like Literally the worst thing ever. Carrying these giant crash pads. It happens in Vegas a lot. Vegas is like, I don't know why they call Chicago the windy city. Hmm. It's so windy here sometimes. We get like 60 mile an hour winds out and we try to go climbing and it's miserable. It makes me so grumpy. Like you can't walk forward at all (laughs) if you have a headwind. It's just literally pushing your giant pack straight backwards. And then you put them on the ground and you try to climb and the wind picks them up and like blows them away. It's like, <laughs> it's like sailing to your rock climbing destination. Yeah, you got to zigzag to get to your destination. <laughs> yeah. oh, wow. So let's go to the competition level because you are obviously very established and accomplished in the competitions winning World Cups both in the United States and overseas. So describe to me what a competition is like. Are you on the wall alone? Are you going against people? What's going on? Competition climbing for bouldering is probably the most complicated form of competition climbing. Mm-hmm. Um, route climbing, you're alone. There's only one route, and each person has to do that route, and it's who gets the highest. Super easy to understand. Speed climbing, there's two people on the wall. The route is exactly the same, two routes, and you race. Mm-hmm. That's super easy to comprehend, too. Bouldering is it's complicated. So we have... Three rounds, four different routes for each round, and it's an average, basically. It's, they take your height on all four, 
And then you move to the next round and it's the same thing. And they just cut people as you go. So it's, there's a five minute timer. You get five minutes per each of these four routes and you get five minutes on the first one and however high you get, that's your score. And then someone else goes and you rest for five minutes. It's like a switch off. Does that make sense? Yeah, a yeah, little make, bit. Makes sense to me. Um, do, would you call someone a boulderer? Yes. <laughs> you would? Okay, boulderer. so these are some of the uh, best boulderers in the world. How difficult are these four routes? Surprisingly, they're, they're not as difficult as people would think they are. Mm. For the men's, they're probably not harder than V11. Wow. And the guys that do them obviously climb much harder outside, like, these guys are climbing V14, V15 outside, but it takes them days to climb those grades. Mm-hmm. So the people who set the routes know this. We have five minutes. So it's as high as you can get in five minutes, and they can't be setting something that hard because no one will get anywhere. They just lessen the grades, usually by like four or five grades. So girls climbing outside generally around V11 in competitions, it's... V6, V7, maybe at the most V8 because we have to do four in a row and we only have five minutes. So they're not as hard as they're not as hard as we can climb, but we don't have the time to to really work on them. That's true. Yeah, you should see Ben's face right now. It's hilarious. When you said um, climbing for days, <laughs> he's picturing them like sleeping on the. Well, that I'm trying to figure out. You said that. You're, they're bouldering for days, but then you also said that the boulders you're really only going 20 feet high. So what's going on? <laughs> it's just super compact, really difficult movement. They just keep like, going back and keep trying really and failing. Really hard. So you you are sometimes not successful on one boulder for multiple days. You're 90% not successful in bouldering. It's hard. Yeah. Wow. It's basically the hardest the hardest moves, the hardest single moves that you can imagine a body doing. And then you put like multiple moves in a row. Okay. Yeah, I, I got it. so it's not necessarily physical. It's not like you need to physically improve over those few days that it's taking you. It's more like you need to A figure out the route and B have a combination of successful moves in a row. Yep, exactly. It's okay. it's a lot of learned movement. And to complete a boulder problem successfully, you have to start from the ground and go to the top of the boulder without falling at all. I feel like to compare it to something I've done, I was building this machine. I just couldn't figure out a few of the things. And I, I literally like couldn't sleep at night. Because all I was doing was thinking about like the crucial things. Is do you have a similar feeling with like how am I going to get to this handhold? Yep, it is obsession. We dream about it. We think about it constantly. Mm. Yeah, it's obsession. Yeah. I can't believe Russell just said that you lose sleep over building a machine. I'm I've a, never built a machine. In I'm my a life. mechanical engineer. That's <laughs> that's, that's what I lose sleep over. <laughs> Um, So let's talk more about the next part of your career, because I know you've been getting into uh, teaching climbing too, correct? I love teaching kids climbing. I love it. Um, I started doing it a couple years ago. And for me, it's really rewarding. It's probably the most rewarding part of my climbing career is traveling to these gyms. And you take kids that they've been climbing for years, and it's, it's basically 
what they want to get out of it is they just want to meet their hero. Hmm. But what I get out of it is seeing them change something in their climbing and then succeed. And they don't even know what needs to be changed or that anything needs to be changed. But I can point it out and say, rotate your hips like this when you do moves like this. And then they'll do it and it'll click with them. And then their climbing just takes off. Like it's little things like that. And I've seen it pretty much every time I've taught, there's at least one kid that something just clicks and it changes and like a whole new world is opened up for them. They're like, Oh my gosh, I'll travel with a couple other pro climbers. Like it'll be myself and maybe Daniel Woods, who's also on the North face team. And then like the guys are usually like, Oh, Daniel. And the girls are like, Oh, AJ. And, and it's basically, they don't care what they learn. They just want to hang out with us. Hmm. For our listeners, AJ is our guest, Alex Johnson. <laughs> So in some of the pictures and videos that I've seen, it seems like you're always wearing a North Face t-shirt. Is there like a specific reason that you like working with North Face or do you just really like their t-shirts? Both. I just started working with the North Face about three years ago. Um, They picked me up. They're one of my sponsors. They're actually my main sponsor. Um, It's been really awesome working with them. I've gotten so many more opportunities as a climber and I've been able to grow my career with them and through them more than I would have been able to without them. Like they have so many opportunities for photo shoots and gear shoots and trips. It's awesome. I think they make really cool gear and it's, it was an honor when they were basically like, we want you. And I was like, Oh my gosh. Yes. Awesome. Like it was a huge honor. So would you say the only way to really grow your career as a climber is to pick up sponsorships? Like, is that the only way where you can really excel to the next level is by being supported like that? I think so. Climbing still, it's still small enough where it's, it's hard to, I guess, unless you run like a private guided service in a really popular area, it's hard to make a living just climbing without financial support from your sponsors. Mm-hmm. Like it's hard, even if you won every competition there was throughout the year, I, I think you still have a hard time making ends meet. What do professional climbers typically do after they've stopped competing and, and aren't really working with sponsors anymore? Teaching is becoming a really popular thing or coaching. There's this coach in Boulder. She used to be a professional climber. Um, her name is Robin Ebersfield. She was like a three-time world champion back in the 80s. Super badass lady. And she started her own gym in Boulder and now has like hundreds of kids on her team and she's she's just training and coaching kids. So going back to maybe the gear that you use when you're climbing, I mean, I've seen pictures and videos of you climbing. You don't have much. It's basically you and you have your chalk and then some pads. What mm-hmm. is one piece or a couple pieces of gear that you could recommend to our listeners? So specifically for women, something that I always climb in is the women's stone go bra from the North face. It's, I love it. I wear it every day. It's a sports bra. Um, it's really comfortable, but it also provides a lot of support. It doesn't, it's not too tight. It doesn't hug or squeeze anywhere. I love it. Um, that's a women's piece. And then a sort of generic thing that I never leave home without is my low down sunglasses from Smith. Smith optics makes really cool sunglasses. They have this new thing with, chroma pop lenses and if you're into sunglasses you have to try them out do you wear sunglasses when you climb sometimes i do um it depends on how sunny it is like if i'm climbing in the shade i don't but if i am climbing in the sun i i do wear sunglasses when i climb and smith makes 
cool sunglasses that don't fall off my face, even when I'm trying really hard. Alex, you did a fantastic job explaining why these sunglasses are so great, and I'm sure the listeners will trust you more than they'll trust me, but your sponsor, Smith Optics, actually sent us a pair of these low-down sunglasses, and they are brand new, and we are going to give a pair away to our listeners, but this will not come without a price. If you're listening to this episode, comment on Mountain Meister's Facebook post about Alex Johnson. Maybe it could be a comment about a pull-up challenge, or maybe you just really enjoyed the show. Anything, we want to hear it from you guys. And you'll be entered to win a pair of these Smith low-down sunglasses. Not a pair. Top-of-the-line Smith sunglasses. That's true. Nice promotion, Russell. (laughs) These are. They're over $200 sunglasses. With the Chroma Pop lenses, which are exactly what they sound like, Chroma Pop. Apparently, it makes the color look much more vibrant. So anyway, that's the end of that commercial. And Alex, I mean, what's next for you? You've done all these first ascents, but you've also found a love for teaching climbing. What's next for Alex Johnson? Have you thought about that? Yes, there is a climb in California that I've sort of been hooked on for the last couple of years. It would be the hardest thing I've ever done, and it would probably be the hardest thing a girl's ever done in the world. Hmm. It's called The Swarm. It's in Bishop, California. It's like Northern California by Mammoth. I've tried it a couple times for the past three years. And then this past winter, I went up there and I I basically moved to Bishop and like sat under that thing and was like, (laughs) I'm not leaving until I do it, basically. So I was there for three months chipping away at this thing, not literally chipping, but (laughs) 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 yeah, throwing myself at this thing. And I came really close to doing it. And then the season, the weather changed and the season sort of ended. So that's going to be where my focus is this fall after the summer competitions. I'll pick up a training calendar again and uh, try to become the strongest I've ever been and then go back up to Bishop to do this thing. It'll be, it'll be the next level for women. Um, It's graded V14 and so far, there's only one girl in the world who's ever climbed a V14. So, yeah, your sport just seems so frustrating. I mean, it's not really like the other sports where you have an opponent who is maybe playing better one day and not as well the other day. You just have this rock sitting in front of you that's literally the same every single time you climb it. And the only reason why you can't get up it is because of you. It's not because the rock, the rock isn't beating you, it's you. It's your fault. Is that frustrating? Climbing is has a really high failure rate. It's so frustrating. I got really, really frustrated because I got so close to doing it. And then I felt like right when I was on the verge of doing it, it's it just like all fell apart. Okay. And now I have to wait months to go back to do it. And it's it's something that I dream about. It's something I obsess over. And it's weird to obsess over it's such an obscure thing. But this sport has such a high rate of failure. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, not all rocks for when you're bouldering are the same, especially outside, uh, and they can vary in size. Have you ever been on just a huge rock and been near the top and kind of got scared and frozen that, you know, if you fall right now, something really bad could happen? Yes. Um, that happens a lot too. My, one of my specialties in climbing, and I think something that's helped my career sort of grow is, my like knack for climbing high balls. Um, high balls are climbs that are generally taller than 20 feet. They Mm. can be anywhere from like 30 to 40 feet and they're pretty dangerous and you have to really have your head in the right spot to do them. And it's, it's kind of towing that line between high ball bouldering or free soloing, which is where you climb Mm -hmm. roots without ropes. Are these people still spotting you? Are they going to catch you from 30 feet? 
No. Um, <laughs> they're mostly just crossing their fingers and hoping that I can keep it together. I just, I haven't blown it yet. It's really dangerous. Um, oftentimes people practice on a rope before they do it. And then when they feel really confident and really comfortable, they'll just go for it without a rope. I mean, I'm imagining you clinging to this wall and are you stuck there? Um, coming down isn't really an option Hmm. at that point. You pretty much have to go up. I've heard that it's harder in a lot of cases to go down, to down climb. Yeah, you could drop and then take like a 20 foot, 25 foot free fall onto the mats. It sounds like you might be getting into some trouble soon. (laughs) (laughs) I'm, I'm really calculated. Like if I don't think that I can do it, I won't even try Hmm. because if I'm feeling even a little bit off on a certain day, I won't push it. Like I'm super calculated. What's the farthest you've ever fallen? Probably like 22 feet. I just hit the, like I totally missed all the mats and just like hit the ground. What? Bummer. (laughs) Like it sucked. Did you get hurt? I didn't get hurt. I got a little rocked. Like no pun intended. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It just hitting the ground hurts. (laughs) Some of the things you guys do are just so extreme. I guess to, to kind of wrap this up, what is your biggest challenge um, in your life as a professional climber? Being a professional climber is, it is what I want to do. It's something that it means a lot to me. And right now I'm making a living doing it. Trying to make other people understand it is a big challenge, especially like members of my family, basically, who think that going to college and getting a job is sort of the way to go through life. It's it's hard to convince people who don't understand what you're doing that this is what you want to be doing. Like I'm doing what I absolutely love and it's not feeling judged. It's more like feeling like even though I'm really happy and I'm making money and I'm doing what I love, it's I'm still falling short. Hmm. That's probably my biggest challenge in being a professional climber. Yeah, that's a really hard thing to deal with. Uh, I had a similar experience when I was working in the corporate world and I was an engineer doing all these technical things. And then I go and we decide to start this podcast and people just kind of hear that story and they don't really know what to do with it. They don't really understand what goes into it. Yeah, you know, maybe it's not the typical path, but you're pursuing something you love. And not only that, you're successful at it. And I mean, that's basically the biggest win-win there is doing something you love and combining that with Uh, success. So congratulations on that. To all the listeners out there, you can find everything we talked about on today's episode at our website, mtnmeister.com. And don't forget about those sunglasses. Just comment on our Facebook post about Alex Johnson. And Alex, thanks so much for joining us, Russell. And I really enjoyed ourselves, learned a lot. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Hey guys, hope you enjoyed today's episode with Alex Johnson. Join us tomorrow when we have Matt Appleford on the show who runs the Adventure Project. His company takes skiers to the most remote destinations on the planet where there happens to be lots and lots of powder. He will also be featuring a early bird special for one of his trips. Listen to find out more. And as we've mentioned before, if you like what we're doing with the podcast, there's an easy way to help us out. Go ahead and submit a good review for us in iTunes. And if you want to hear us every day, then subscribe to the podcast and your device will automatically download new episodes. Every morning, updates from Ben and me. What's better than that?